Hey folks, this is Kevin. On this week's episode of Risk, you'll hear Angela Sawyer. I am a 51-year-old lady. I still cut my own hair and make my own art stuff at home because I don't have any kids to tell me when I look stupid. That and more. But before that, folks, on September 15th, the Risk Live show is at Caveat in New York City. It's 7 p.m. Eastern, simultaneously live-streamed on YouTube. Get your tickets for the in-person show or the live stream at risk-show.com slash tour. And thestorystudio.org is where you'll find our storytelling training and corporate workshops. That's thestorystudio.org. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. Now here's the show. Hello, kids. This is Risk, the show where people tell true stories they never thought they'd dare to share. I'm Kevin Allison. This is Coleman Brothers, behind me now. And we're calling this week's episode Gut Reactions. Three very different stories recorded in very different places. In a little bit, we're going to hear from John Rohr, a story that he shared at one of our live stream shows during the lockdown. But before that, a story by Angela Sawyer, who you can find at 7arcadens.wixsite.com. Angela shared this one at a recent Risk Live show at Caveat in New York City. Here's Angela Sawyer now with a story we call, Thank Heaven for Lowell. To you. I'm glad that we're out. I'm glad we made it out. I am a 51-year-old lady. I still cut my own hair and make my own art stuff at home because I don't have any kids to tell me when I look stupid. <laughs> I want to make sure I explain who I am to you guys, but you guys have met like a preschool teacher that everybody thought was a witch, right? <laughs> yeah, so we were on the same page. We know what we're doing. Uh, I'm going to tell you about how I got into college because I only just 
got into college. And I, it is a story of privilege, but I, I shouldn't have. <laughs> so I'm originally from Denver. I grew up being a nice little girl, very green, very happy. Uh, not that cute, like a little tomato, nice and fat. Uh, it was fun. I'm very old, so uh, when I was in high school, if you wanted to go to college, what they did is they put a printed list on the wall of the counselor's office that just had a list of all the schools they could think of, and then if you wanted to go to college, you would go and point at the list, and they would give you an address to write down, and you'd take that home, and you'd write a letter saying, who are you, college? This is me, can I come there? And that's how you did it. That was just what you did. And because I was a kid from Denver, I did love school when I was a kid. I loved it because I had trouble with my parents at home. I didn't get along well with them. And I thought the adults at school were so, so nice. So I did whatever they said, and they were like, you should pick a name off the list. And I was like, okay. And I went home and I wrote the letter, and I got back a brochure. And I thought this looks like I go here. I think maybe I go to the school now. It has my name on it. That's a picture of a dorm. I think I go there. That's the dorm. I think I go to college now. So I picked out the University of Lowell because I was from Denver and I lived on the other side of the country. I was just like, I've heard of Harvard. Maybe they'll take me. That is not a thing that happens. (laughs) That's not how that works. I also, I think I thought, Like, all schools in Massachusetts were one school, you know? And that's not how that works either. Lowell, if you've never been to that town, it's a place about an hour north of Boston. And they used to have a bunch of factories there where people made clothes and bricks. And now they have drugs, mostly. (laughs) Also some very nice Cambodian restaurants, but mostly drugs. That's what they do there. Uh, So I I picked that out, and I wrote off to that school, and I got the brochure, and I was like, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to go be a big, sophisticated city lady. I go to college now. I'm so thrilled. So I got that brochure and thought that I went to school there, and I definitely did not, but I saw it, and I got on a plane to Lowell. (laughs) So before I went, I was like, I'm going to go live off in the big city, so I need to take all my stuff with me. So I got everything I owned, I gathered it up, and I took it to the mall. And I took it to a now defunct store called Mailboxes Etc. Yeah, yeah, somebody remembers. I'm sure you remember that is a store that sold neither mailboxes nor etc. So I went and I took everything I owned there, everything, my Def Leppard cassette, all my Jordache jeans, the coat from when I was eight that only went down to here, the whole bit. And I took it there and there was a teenager working behind the counter and I gave him all the money I had saved up from every job I'd ever had. And I was like, I want to mail this to myself where I'm going to be when I go to college. And he was like, okay, where's that? I was like, oh, I'll write it on the box. Angela Sawyer, Lowell, Massachusetts. No address. I thought they'd figure it out. You know, I thought they'd just, they'd know I was coming and it would be all right. So I gave him all the money I could come up with. And then I got on a plane. And when I walked through, there's these big sliding glass doors at Logan Airport in Boston. And when I walked through, what happens is a bunch of taxi drivers run up to you and they're all like, hey, where are you going? Where are you going? Where are you going? And I was like, hi, I'm going to Lowell. And they laughed so hard. They died laughing at me. It turns out it's quite far. (laughs) They all just walked away, and I had no idea 
what to do. And then this guy who wasn't quite with them came up to me and he was bald and he had on like a white beater t-shirt and John Lennon glasses with a big crack through them. And he goes, you going to hall? And I was like, yeah, yeah, I am. And he's like, all right. So I got into his personal station wagon. <laughs> yeah. For those of you groaning, I would like to remind you that I was uh, almost 19, and yes, I did look 12. <laughs> I did. I sat in the front seat. Yes, I did. Right in the front seat next to that man. And then uh, we drove around outside of Boston for about three and a half hours in his car because I didn't know where Lowell was, and neither did he. <laughs> so we drove around, drove around. And after I realized that all the money I had left in the whole world was gonna have to go to this taxi ride, so I'm starting to freak out a little bit, and we're just driving around in circles, and finally, I saw like a green lawn and a young boy in a polo shirt, and I was like, there, that's where I belong, that's a college student, I should go there. So he just stopped, and he dumped me off, and I like pulled all the stuff out of my car onto this nice green lawn, amazingly unmurdered. I was so proud of myself for not being murdered. Totally still alive. And then I was just on a lawn with my stuff with no money to my name in the whole world. And because we'd driven around for so long, like all of the fanfare, the RAs and the check-ins and all that, it was all over with. So I was just there by myself in front of maybe a dorm building. And occasionally kids would walk by and I'd be like, hey, 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 and they would just walk right by me. Finally, some kid took pity on me, and he's like, what do you need? And I was like, oh, I, I think I go to school here. I think this must be my dorm. And he was like, okay, what's your dorm room? And I was like, I don't know. And he's like, all right. And he picked up my suitcase, and he walked into the dorm room, and there was an empty room right off the front door. And he was like, how about this one? Just put my, and I just moved in. I just moved directly in to that room. It's perfectly fine. Uh, and I just did what other kids did, you know? I wasn't quite sure what to do. So, like, I would see everybody come out of the dorms at certain times of the day and go line up in front of a cafeteria. And I was like, oh, that's what we do now. So I followed them. And then they all stood in this long line, and they all had IDs, and they would show them before they went in. I didn't have one of those, so I just walked right past that line and, like, went into the cafeteria and had my lunch and then went home, and it was fine. Absolutely fine. And everything seemed to be going really well until... A couple of weeks in, all my new friends that I was making started to have these things, classes. <laughs> and I was like, how did you guys get those? And they were like, you should go to the registrar. And I was like, oh. So I, I got directions, and I went to this office where there were a bunch of ladies who are about the age I am now standing behind a big desk and they were like, what's your story? And I was like, I'm Angela Sawyer. And they were like, I was like, I go here. And they also laughed at me, just like the taxi drivers. They were like, we don't have your social security number in here at all. <laughs> so they sent me, they were like, you should probably talk to the financial aid lady. And it turned out the financial aid lady was like hidden around a back hallway, just one woman my age in a room with a typewriter and a bunch of paper. <laughs> and I went to see her, and then I went to see her again the next day, and the next day, and every day after that for a couple of weeks. And we just hung out together in that room and cried and cried. <laughs> we cried a lot together. It was very sad. She was upset, and so was I. <laughs> 
So she had me fill out hundreds of pages of forms, and I promised to give the University of Lowell hundreds of thousands of dollars, which I have not. Sorry, guys. <laughs> I should have been more worried at that point because I was signing away a lot of stuff, but, and I was kind of like, I don't know. And then I thought, I don't have this money. What are they going to do? <laughs> and that worked out okay. Worked out okay. I've never had it. So I was like, okay, seems fine. So... Everything started to go okay, and I had classes finally, but then it got colder. I was there with four shirts and like one Eagles tape, and I had no idea what to do. Like, no, I had no idea how to get any more stuff. I didn't have any money. I was just going to classes and going to the cafeteria. And so I went to see the financial aid lady in the room because she was my best friend now. <laughs> I went and I was like, hey, I mailed all my stuff to myself. Do you know how I would find that? And she was like, you did what? And I said, yeah, I mailed. And she was like, how stupid are you? <laughs> so she told me, just find someone who delivers the mail. See if you can do that. And I did. I went and I walked around. I got directions. And I came upon this big warehouse room deep inside the university, full of crazy boxes, 12 feet tall, as far as the eye could see. And I walked in there and I was like, hello, hello. And this guy comes out, also bald, also wife beater, also cracked glasses. I said, hi, I'm Angela Sawyer. And he goes, oh, we've been looking for you. <laughs> Guys, it all worked out great. I got back everything dumb thing that I owned, even my poor old Def Leppard cassette. And then I went on to graduate with a degree in the only thing that I really, really needed at that point, which was philosophy. <laughs> you guys are fantastic. Thank you. My name's Angela. Who are you? You don't belong here. I'm going to college. What do you think? Who I think? I think you're nuts. Uh, look, you don't belong here. Ugh, I know. You're right. I just, my whole life, I've dreamed of... No, 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 I, I meant you don't belong here. I mean, in this room. But this is my room. You don't belong here. I'm afraid it's time for you to leave. You don't belong here? Why don't you just quit? Because I got no place else to go. That's because you don't belong here. And if you have any respect for who we are and what we do, you will be gone by morning. I'm not going anywhere. I'm going to stay right here. Cause all kinds of trouble. Everyone, please welcome to the virtual stage, Jay Roar. Hi, everybody. Thanks for having me. When I was growing up, uh, my dad had a unique way of parenting. Basically, what he'd do is he'd box you into a corner and he'd say, what is the fourth commandment? And you'd have to quote it back to him. You'd have to say, honor thy father and mother. And he'd say, that's damn right. And if you don't do what I tell you, you're not honoring me and you're pissing off God and you're going to burn in hell. So take out the trash, which is a pretty extreme but effective way of getting a child to do their chores you know, especially when you raise them to be maximum Catholic and they uh, believe that that's a viable reality. You know, you're actually going to go to hell for not doing the dishes. But fortunately, uh, my mom was around. She would mitigate circumstances on occasion. She'd get between us because 
Unfortunately, see, I had a condition when I was a kid. When I was growing up, I had compulsive sarcasm. <laughs> so I had a tendency to spout off at the mouth when my dad would come at me with his shit. And so uh, my mom would get between us and she'd be like, look, smart ass, shut up, go to your room. You need to be more of an adult, okay? You don't need to threaten the kid with eternal damnation just to get him to clean the bathroom, okay? So here's the thing, though. Obviously, my mom being a great intermediary between the two of us, a great buffer. So, of course, she died. All the people I know who have uh, ever passed away over the years, they all seem to die when it's least convenient for me. <laughs> what it comes down to, though, is uh, I was about uh, 15 when she passed away. And after that, there was really nothing to get between me and my dad. We basically turned into like potassium and water. And for those of you who uh, didn't have a cool chemistry teacher, uh, when you put potassium in water, it explodes. Uh, something to keep in mind in case your neighbors are ever having an obnoxious pool party. We just got more intense and just our fighting became more extreme as time went by to such a degree that my dad yelled at me so much over the years that I have auditory hallucinations of him still screaming at me. Like to this day, he doesn't even have to be around. I can still hear his voice on occasion. Mm. And uh, I think the best example of that was the time he was standing in the kitchen and he was standing over my shoulder screaming at me to flip the chicken the right way. To this day, I still don't know what I was doing wrong, but apparently I was flipping the chicken wrong. And that was, that was about when I sort of realized I was never going to win a fight. That any fight with him was essentially just like trying to throw a dead bird through a brick wall. Because all you think to yourself is, why are you doing this? All you can hope to do is produce a grotesque mess. <laughs> so don't. Just give up. So that's what I did for a long time. I just did as I was told, and I just wouldn't fight back, and I wouldn't argue with him about anything. And that led to a lot of, I don't know how to put this, that led to a lot of interesting incidents, like the time I had my first panic attack, and I had to go to the hospital because I thought I was dying. If you've ever had a panic attack, you know what I'm talking about. You basically think that your heart's about to explode and there's nothing you can do about it. And we're in the hospital, and my dad is yelling at me to calm down and relax. So uh, that sort of became our dynamic, where I wouldn't do anything, and he'd just scream at me. So I was kind of a stressed-out kid, as you can imagine. As a result of that... Anytime in high school, uh, somebody would say like, hey, dude, we're going drinking this weekend. I'd be like, I'm already there. So on this one occasion, a group of guys said they wanted to throw a motel party, but they didn't have any money. So I stepped in. I was like, I got a lot of cash. I'll be there this weekend. So we got together, we got a room, got a bunch of booze, and we started having this sort of typical teenager party. You know, everybody's dancing. There's about a dozen people in the room. We're all boozed up and People are listening to music and laughing. They're all like, oh, yeah, we're teenagers. We're going to live forever. You know, life is great. Meanwhile, I'm sitting over in the corner drinking a bottle of tequila like glug, glug, glug. No, you're all going to die one day. Glug, glug, glug. Life is not great. Who's that knocking at the door? Maybe that's the strength to kill myself. And then I open the door. Nope, it's the cops. Ah, another life's disappointments. So I get arrested and I uh, get hauled off to the police station, which was oddly fun because I was still drunk. I sobered up real quick, though, because they handed me the phone. They said, you got to call your dad. He's got to come bail you out. And I knew that wasn't going to be good. But what are you going to do? So I call him up at 3 in the morning. I wake him up in the middle of the night. I'm like, Dad, I got arrested. I need you to come pick me up. And he's like, what did you do? And I just told him. I got picked up for a curfew violation, possession of alcohol as a minor, drunken disorderly, drug possession, and carrying a concealed weapon. And he was like, hey, look, here's the thing. 
If you've already told your kid they're going to hell for not mopping the floor, a few extra sins are not really going to like dissuade them down the line. <laughs> so cops are like, sir, this is the address. This is where you have to come to get your son. And uh, my father said, no, you can just keep him. I don't want him back. Like you can just hang on to him. So they said to him, sir, you have to actually come pick him up. That's a form of child abandonment. So you got to come get your kid. And three hours later, even though he was not three hours away from the jail where I was being held, he shows up begrudgingly, picks me up. We get in the car and we're driving. He's oddly silent, which is terrifying because like if you've ever lived with somebody who has anger issues and is screaming all the time when they're quiet, that's the worst situation to be in. And as soon as we hit the highway, he goes nuclear to such a degree that I'm thinking about, can I survive jumping out of this car as opposed to dealing with the rest of this? Maybe I'll survive and run off and disappear into the night, start a new life somewhere. But uh, made it home and we got the court date and we're getting ready to go in. And my dad said, here's what's going to happen. Okay. You are going to plead guilty and you are going to take the maximum punishment, whatever that they want to give you. And I said to him, no, dad, I think we can get some of the charges knocked off if we argue this way. And he said, no, that's not what we're going to do. I'm telling you right now, you're going to plead guilty and take the punishment. And I started to fight back on it. He said, what is the fourth commandment? I was like, honor thy father and mother. He's like, yeah, it's damn right. So that was the end of the discussion as far as he was concerned. So when we went into court, we're sitting in the gallery. They call my name and I go up. And as I'm getting ready to go up, my dad's like, just remember what I said. Don't do anything stupid. You plead guilty. And as I was walking up there, just something flipped in my head. And I was like, oh, no, fuck that. And when I got up to the, the front of the room, I'm addressing the judge. And the judge said to me, how do you react to this list of charges, young man? And I said, I don't think that you should include that curfew violation on there. And I swear you could hear my dad's teeth grinding from the back of the room. You could feel the air ripple as his rage just pulsated out from him. And uh, the judge was like, well, that's interesting. Why don't you think the curfew violation applies? And I said, well, Your Honor, the hotel room is where I was arrested. And that was in my name. So it was technically my residence. So I wasn't like out on the street. And the judge gave me this look that just made me think so for a second that, number one, I was going to shit myself, and two, that I had just really screwed myself royally. Not only was this judge going to bring the hammer down, but my dad was going to kill me as soon as he got his hands on me. But then the judge nodded, and he said, okay, you know what? I agree with that. I'm going to take the curfew violation off. What else you got? And I said, well, the drug charges, those were in my bag, but... The bag wasn't on me. It was just in the room. And there were a dozen other people in the room. You can't prove that those were my drugs. They were my drugs. <laughs> but you can't prove that those were my drugs. And so the judge was just like, all right, okay. I I'm with you on this. And we kept going on it. And then he gets to the weapon. And he goes, how about this weapon? I said, well, Your Honor, that's sort of a tricky situation. I didn't have, like, any malice intentions with it. You know, I wasn't there. It wasn't there to, like, stab anybody. It was just a gift from a friend. It was a Randall 18 Rambo knife big goddamn pig stick and knife i can understand why people would be afraid of somebody walking around with it you know at the same time i was like it's just a gift you know i was just showing it off to my friends i didn't mean anything by it and the judge said okay i'll cut you this deal if you take the charge you can have the knife back but if you don't take the charge if you let us keep it well i'll take it off of the uh, list of charges for you i said yeah sure no problem take it destroy it i don't care and then he said, well, what about the drink? I said, I got nothing there. I was definitely drinking. I don't know if I was disorderly, but I was definitely drunk. So I got to plead guilty to that. He said, all right. And then he fined me. I paid for it. 
with money that I made selling drugs in high school. And then I got back in the car with my dad. We left. He was, again, completely silent, which was terrifying on the way back. But as we got in the car, he just looked at me and he said, all right, you got lucky and we'll never speak of this again. And I was like, fine, done. And we never did speak of it again, but I didn't think of it a lot over the years because it was one of those situations that sort of teaches you to actually have confidence in yourself and, you know, take a fight, fight situations, whether or not you think you're going to win, you got to just at least swing, if you know what I mean. Thank you for your time. That's my story. This is Risk, this is ACDC behind me now, and we just heard from John Rohr, who you can find at honestyisnotcontagious.com. And before that, a little interstitial by our episode editor, Jeff Barr. Hey, if you know anyone who likes to listen to podcasts, but who's a little shy about listening to Risk, because it might be too explicit or too challenging for their taste, have them check out our sneak preview of the first two episodes of our brand new podcast, Real. That is at risk-show.com slash real. And scroll down to fill out the survey to give us feedback on the new series, Real is a perfect show for people who like stories but prefer them to be more on the PG-rated side rather than the R or X-rated side, if you get what I mean. Again, that's at risk-show.com slash real. I want to give a shout-out to our newest Patreon member, giving $25 or more per month, Maria. Thank you so much, Maria. It's no exaggeration to say that the support of our fans is the difference between the show going on or folding at this point. Our Patreon is our life raft. And if you too become a member or raise your donation over at patreon.com slash risk, you'll have tons of bonus content like our latest anecdote compilation edited by Roman Den Houdeker, featuring stories by Miles Lewis, Suzanne Binford, and Genevieve Sage. Uh, excuse me, I, I know how that you say, uh, license. 
to drive. I see I am from Luxembourg and I uh, visiting. I uh, have a passport, but it at home. May I purchase, please? And boom, I'd come out with a grocery sack full of orange splash coolers and Capri cigarettes. So check out all of that and more at patreon.com slash risk. And if you'd like to make a one-time donation, that's at paypal.me slash risk show. Is your child struggling with a specific subject or need help with homework? Are they asking questions that you're not sure you can fully answer? IXL Learning is an online learning program for kids. It covers math, language arts, science, and social studies. IXL is designed. This program will improve your kids' grades. Studies done in almost every state in the country. The kids who had IXL are consistently doing better. Powered by advanced algorithms, IXL gives the right help to each kid no matter the age or personality. And it doesn't have to eat up all your time. One subscription gets you everything for all the kids in your home, pre-K to 12th grade. So don't miss out. One in four students in the U.S. are learning with IXL. IXL is used in 95 of the top 100 school districts in the U.S. Make an impact on your child's learning. Get IXL now. And listeners can get an exclusive 20% off IXL membership when they sign up today at IXL.com audio. Visit IXL.com audio to get the most effective learning program out there at the best price. Knowing how to speak and understand a new language can be an invaluable tool when traveling, meeting new friends, or just even to master a new skill. But it's not always simple when you're bogged down by textbooks and structure classes. That's why so many people trust Rosetta Stone. Rosetta Stone is the most trusted language learning program available on desktop or as an app. It truly immerses you in the language you want to learn, like Spanish, French, Italian, Chinese, and more. You won't just be studying English translations. The Rosetta Stone intuitive process helps you pick up a language naturally, first with words, then phrases, then sentences. Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com rs10. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com rs10 today. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Our final story on this week's episode is a pretty intense one. Uh, It does deal with the subject of child abuse, but not in the way you might assume. It was recorded in Philadelphia in 2015 at a Risk Live show down there, and the storyteller can be found at paultrigiani.com. Here's Paul Trigiani right now with a story we call Best of Luck to You.
All right, so uh, 2002, 2003-ish, I'm living in Philadelphia for the first year of my life alone and uh, going to Temple and I'm supporting myself by working as a portrait photographer in a portrait studio for children in the suburbs. And uh, this portrait studio no longer exists. Uh, so I'm not worried that I'm gonna get myself in some kind of legal trouble by telling you this, but it's, it's possible. <laughs> I'm laying in bed one morning. I remember it's the morning because I thought it was strange that someone would call me in the morning. Uh, my phone rings and I pick it up and it's this big black rotary phone that I had because I liked art directing my life uh, at the time. And I answer it and it's my manager at the port studio. And, and normally this guy is like really, like really upbeat and he's like the plucky friend of like an animated show. But today is different. Today his, uh, he's very mellow and his voice is very low. I can hear that he's cupping the, uh, the mouthpiece of the phone so as not to be heard. And my first thought is, I fucked up, right? Like, I fucked something up, I ruined a transaction, something's gone wrong, so I'm worried. But he goes on to say, hey, look, I don't, I don't want to upset you, uh, so don't freak out or anything. Which, is, to anxious people, is code for, assume the worst, it is the worst. And, and I, I swing myself out of bed, I bolt upright, and I'm looking across the room in a mirror right now, which, by the way, in retrospect, is delightfully cinematic, but I didn't think of it at the time this way, because what he says is, hey, I don't want to freak you out or anything, but there's a reporter here, and they're asking about you. Apparently, there was a police report intercepted, and in it, you are accused of molesting a child. And he might have said molesting a child in the store, I don't remember. And he goes on to say, um, th they didn't give any details of the police report, but they said it could have had something to do with someone finding a picture of you molesting a child. But don't worry, I have a degree in journalism, so I didn't fall for that old trick. And I don't know what he's talking about, but I guess he explained later, there is a trick where reporters will make up these, they'll conflate these insane details, so you go, no, 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 that's not what happened, this is what happened. Now they have more details for a story. I guess that's journalism 101. I don't know, I don't care at the moment, because I'm being consumed with a dread. There's just dread consuming me at this moment. And I, I say dread because it's the only way I can, I can define it. Dread, for me, is part anger and part fear and part regret. And when I say regret, I don't mean regret for the thing that they're saying I did, because I didn't do that thing. I didn't molest a child, all right? I know that I didn't because molesting a child is not something I would do. And I don't mean I wouldn't do it in so much as like I say like, I'll never wear flip-flops or I'll never play a round of golf. And those things are true and I say those things, but those are choices, right? Those are lifestyle preferences. They're not serious. Molesting, hurting a child, right, um, is the same for me as physical violence against another person or abusing an animal. And yes, I put them on the same spectrum because they are things that I find personally to be an offense. Like they are an affront to me, to humanity. Like those are things that, that cut me to the core, right? Because when you hurt a child in that way, you are robbing them of their life. And I believed that then and I believe that now. And so you need to know that to know how severe it is to me to hear that then. And when I, when I say regret, okay? When I say I'm consumed with regret, I don't mean, again, I don't mean I regret what I did because I didn't do anything. What I regret right now is everything. I regret everything, everything in life, ever. I'm regretting it, right? I regret 
getting up every day. I regret looking humans in the eye, everything. So like I had a job right now where every day I get up, I go to work, and I hang out with kids, right? I entertain kids, right? Like, and we, like, they love it. I just act like an animal. I don't know what I do. I don't know what I say. I just go. And that's the way someone described passion to me once, right? And everywhere else in the world, I'm just a weird, broken little man, and I'm, I'm too weird for the square people, and I'm too square for the weird people, and I don't belong on campus, and I don't belong at parties, but six hours a day, five days a week, I get to go hang with a bunch of kids, and we laugh together. Right? And that's what I, I get to have that. But right now, I'm regretting that. I'm like, fuck you, man. Like, that's what you get, right? That's what you get for letting yourself have that. Right? That's what I mean by regret. Passage of time. I'm in my 1992 Chrysler LeBaron and I'm driving to work right now, okay? And I can't listen to music because every song has a meaning. I can't call my mom and let her talk me off an emotional ledge because I don't have a cell phone yet. So all I can do is sit and drive and let the breakdown consume me and theorize. <laughs> and what I decide is that this has got to be somebody who's out to get me, right? This has been made up by someone out to get me. I don't know if any of you have ever worked in retail. But if you have, you know that the expectations of even the shittiest retail customer are astronomical. And if you are in retail service, which is what I would call this, they're even more astronomical. And if you're dealing with kids, that's the height, that's the top. Because everyone expects with their kids, they're going to get a Disney experience. And in this case, the Disney experience for them meant they asked me for shit for free and I give it to them. That's what it meant to them. And when you have a sad, weird, broken little man sitting in front of you telling you you can't rightfully have the thing that you think you deserve, tensions get very high, all right? And so I'm no, um, I'm very used to verbal, almost physical disagreements at this point, especially if it's like a Delco stepdad who got loaded before he showed up. We've had that a lot, right? So, so I am sure at this point that this is one of these people has invented a story to get me back for not giving them that warm fuzzy. And I walk into work and I am paranoid and I am emotionally volatile and I'm ready to take on the world. And I walk in and there is a state trooper there ready to talk to me. And he is enormous. And he is Nordic and giant and clean cut and just nice as pie. Just the sweetest giant man you've ever seen in your life. And he's just so delightful. And he says, oh, Mr. Mr. Uh, Trignani, uh, I, uh, sorry to bother you right now. I know you have a job to do. But um, we'd really like you to, after your shift, come down to the, uh, the station and talk to us about an incident last Saturday. And uh, so hopefully you could do that. And he hands me a card. And now this dude has just thrown me off for an entire shift. I have six hours now where I have to do this dance and pretend like it's a normal day at the portrait factory, right? I definitely was not accused of molesting a child today. But I was, and it's all I can think about, and he gave me a time frame, right? He said, last Saturday. So now, I'm like, I am, I'm Jessica Fletcher, and I'm replaying every moment of last Saturday through again and again and again, and I'm like, what's the weird thing? What happened? Where's the anomaly? Where's the weird thing? And everything is completely normal, and that is both frustrating and unbelievably terrifying, right? That it's just totally normal. So we close. And I get in my 1992 Chrysler LeBaron and I drive to the police station. And officer so-and-so, the giant cupcake of a man that he is, <laughs> he greets me and he says, uh, so, you know, we have a report of a family who was uh, at your establishment and as they were leaving, uh, their little girl turned to them and said, uh, the man touched me. 
the man touched me. I don't know what it is about the words in that moment, the man touched me, where I, I immediately know what they're talking about. All of my trying to figure out what it was, I instantly know what they're talking about. I remember the family, I remember the girl, and uh, there, there is no plot, nobody made anything up. I did exactly what's in that police report. I touched that little girl, right? And my first instinct is, lie to this dude. Lie as much as you can, right? Because it'll work, right? It'll work. If you lie, but I didn't, right? I didn't lie. I said, yeah, yeah, I, I, I know what you're talking about, right? I know, I know who this girl is. And uh, I told him, I was like, you know, I was sitting with this family. I don't, I don't remember what I was doing with them, but I remember they had a daughter, and let's say she was between five and seven. Brown hair, about that high, purple shirt. And she looked sad. And part of this job was when kids look sad, you do something to make them happy again, right? I memorized jokes for boys. I memorized different jokes for girls. If a kid was rowdy, you let them beat you up or you race them around. I learned to make balloon animals like a fucking boss. I'm still amazing at it. I'll prove it to you. Uh, in this case, I don't know why I did this. I, it was just, you know, I don't think about it. I just I poked her in the leg and it really spooked her. I remember she just kind of like turned it like this, right? Like real protective. And then she wouldn't make eye contact with me again. And uh, that was weird, right? But the thing you learn when you're working with kids day in and day out for years, they're all fucking weird. They're all weird. Every one of them is crazy. They're strange little weird people. They're not socialized. They make dumb decisions. Everything they do is crazy, and so you ignore it. The other day, I was with fam a family friend, and we look over, and their daughter is spoon-feeding spaghetti to their dog. And our reaction was, yeah, okay, sure, that makes sense. Because that's what you do with kids. They're all nuts, right? So she reacted in a weird way, and I'm like, yeah, all right, whatever. Yeah, mission not accomplished. Next, right? It didn't... I didn't register it that much, but the words the man touched me, all of a sudden, I, I remember. That's what I told him. <laughs> Sans the dog spaghetti thing, that's what I told him. And uh, he, uh, he believed me, right? And I like to think that he believed me because I told the truth. And he said, okay, well, you know, this sounds like, uh, this has a lot of merit, doesn't look like there's any malice here. So we'll, we'll write this up and um, uh, we'll close the file, that'll be it. And I left, right, I left. And uh, so I get back in my 1992 Chrysler and I'm driving back to the city. And all the dread at this point is sort of washed away. And all I can do is think about the, the parents of this kid and fuck them, right? Fuck them. Like, who do they think they are to take the word of their stupid little non-socialized kid and call the police and fucking ruin my life, right? Like, who, do they, who, who could be so careless? Right? And like, you know, if your stupid non-socialized kid turned to you and said the man touched me, you would call, I would call the cops immediately. Immediately, right? Because that's what you do. That's what you do to protect your child. It doesn't matter how non-socialized they are, because kids are humans, and if something feels wrong, you tell somebody, right? You do something about it. And that little girl, it didn't matter what my intention was or who I was. If she felt violated, that was her right. It was her duty, right? And now I can't be mad anymore. I can't be mad at them. I can't be mad at her, and all the anger is gone now, and it's getting replaced with dread again. The dread is now back. And the dread is back because now all I realize is all of this thinking, all of this theorizing, 
you got nothing, right? You just watched your life almost get destroyed and you were a spectator to it. That's it, you had no control. And um, if it hadn't been for my manager deciding not to talk to that reporter, there would have been a story and that would have been it. My, that's my name, that's it. And if that cop hadn't decided to trust me, he could have just thrown me the justice system and you know what, that's it, that's it, it's gone for all I know. The reason I'm here telling this, if nothing else, is either to remind you or let you know for the first time, your life is completely at the mercy of others. And there is absolutely nothing you can do about it. So best of luck to you. white horses and ladies by the score all dressed in satin and waiting by the door ooh what a lucky man he was ooh what a lucky man That is all for this week's episode, folks. This is Emerson Lake and Palmer behind me now. And we just heard from Paul Trigiani. It's a stark ending to that story. I know we're all going through uh, periods of major philosophical questioning and meditating or using psychedelics or doing therapies of various sorts. It's a period of people finding new ways to cope, (laughs) new ways to wrap our minds around this life we're living, this world we're living in. And if you know someone who you think would like risk, except for some of the stories being rather stark like that one was, then they might like our new podcast series coming soon called Real. And they can get a sneak peek and listen to the first two episodes of Real over at risk-show.com slash real real is a bit like risk but you know um no trigger warnings necessary it's not explicit you can listen while kids are in the room a little bit more like an npr sort of storytelling show and be sure to scroll down when you get to risk-show.com slash real to fill out the survey and give us feedback on the new series. That'll be very helpful for us to make it all it can be. Again, that's at risk-show.com slash real. Hey, do you live in Seattle or Portland or anywhere near those cities? Well, we are planning on coming November 18th is Risk Live in Seattle at the Vera Project. November 19th is Risk Live in Portland, Oregon at Revolution Hall. You can find more info at risk-show.com tour. And please pitch us. Pitch us your stories. 
people in Seattle or Portland, you can submit your pitches. Make sure to point out that you live in one of those two cities at risk-show.com slash submissions. Speaking of that, anyone, anyone anywhere in the world can pitch us their winter holiday stories or Halloween stories at risk-show.com slash submissions. And folks, did you know that you can hire me personally for storytelling training? I can be found at kevinallison.com. Folks, today's the day. Take a risk. Take a risk.